What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, we speak to Rain Newton-Smith, the Director General of the Confederation of British Industry, about the way forward for the UK economy and also the junior doctor's strike. Bloomberg's reporter Julian Harris will be joining us. But of course, we did get the latest data on GDP this morning for the UK economy. It fell 0.1% in May after a 0.2% gain the month before. This is according to the Office for National Statistics. Economists had been expecting a bigger drop of 0.3%. So this shows resilience in the economy. The flip side of that, though, is more inflation, which is a headache for the Bank of England. Yeah, and we'll get those inflation figures next Wednesday. This is a really big one we'll be watching out for. Last month, remember, came in at 8.7%, not showing any drop on the previous month. No progress towards Rishi Sunak's uh, halving of inflation target. He wants to get it to 5% by the end of the year. And you remember, of course, it was the inflation numbers uh, which set off uh, the big, big rise in mortgage rates. And we're starting to see some early signs of that feeding through into the house market. Yeah, certainly. The RICS um, survey, which looks, of course, um, at chartered surveyors and their view on the housing market. I do think that the the figures show that uh, surveyors are starting to see cracks in the market because for June, the index went down to minus 46. um, And so that's well below the previous month and also below the estimate. Uh, Yeah, and I think that this actually is, you know, we've we've got... um, mortgage deals now above 6.6% in the UK and I think this RIC survey is very forward looking. The Tory mortgage bombshell as Angela Rayner put it at PMQs yesterday as Keir Starmer puts it every week at PMQs but just to come back to those growth numbers mm. they are weighed down in this particular set of data by strikes and the bank holidays of course for the King's coronation so maybe you can look through them but growth of course as important nearly as inflation to the Prime Minister. It's in his top priorities, not just to halve inflation by the end of the year, but also to grow the economy. Yeah, I think the growth picture is pretty mixed, isn't it? I think you'd probably say tepid is a, is a, is a fair uh, description. Inflation is certainly not tepid. Interesting on the uh, house prices, uh, Ricks say that house prices are only very modestly down on their recent highs, and they're well above where they stood at the onset of the pandemic, because they were talking about all these problems in the mortgage market. Remember, house prices really haven't come off much from those peaks. The market does tend to be quite sticky, and people don't like to lower their house prices. They think they're going to get 400 grand for it. 
and they want 400 grand for it. The house prices do tend to move slowly, but perhaps this could be the start of a, of a wider downturn, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think, look, that the state of the UK economy is of great concern for voters, for businesses and employers. And this is why uh, we were speaking earlier on uh, today to Ray Newton-Smith, who's the Director General of the British uh, Business Lobby Group, the Confederation of British Industry. Look, the CBI, Lizzie, has been, um, you know... <laughs> Embattled? Embattled is, yeah, I think the best of it, really. After a, a scandal emerged amongst employees around sexual harassment, the CBI lost a lot of members. It was shut out, effectively, of government and relations with um, with government ministers for quite some time since about April. But that does now seem to be changing. So we were speaking to Ray Newton-Smith about what she now hopes between now and the next general election is actually going to happen with this government, about boosting business, trying to get living standards up. Thanks for being with us in the Bloomberg Radio studio. It seems congratulations are in order. You were at a Bloomberg Roundtable event this week, chaired by City Minister Andrew Griffith. Does this mean that engagement's back on? You're back in the government's good books? I think what's been really great for myself and, and my teams recently is being able to engage with policymakers on both sides of the House more recently around uh, the big policy issues of, of the day. And I think this week was obviously a big week for the economy. We've had GDP uh, this morning, but I think importantly, the Chancellor and the uh, Governor of the Bank of England on Monday were setting out some of the mansion, you know, at the Mansion House speech, some of the reforms about how we make sure that the UK remains a great place uh, for businesses to start to grow uh, and a great place for businesses to invest in our economy. Rain, have you had more meetings with Labour since you met with the Shadow Business Secretary uh, Jonathan Reynolds in June? Yeah, so we've been engaging with uh, policy officials on, on both sides of the House around the, the issues of the day. And uh, a week or so ago, we had our uh, corporate tax roadmap. So trying to say, what should we need to see setting out for the long term, uh, some of the reforms to make sure that our tax system is efficient, proportional and really helps to drive growth and productivity and, and living standards. And we've been talking to uh, officials around uh, what we need to see to do. I promise we will come to those GDP numbers and the Mansion House announcements, but your official materials say that you represent 170,000 businesses. It used to say 190,000. How's the CBI coping financially with 20,000 fewer members? Look, like many businesses, I think it's quite a tough time for, for businesses and we are facing some financial pressure because we've had uh, some members who've paused their membership with the CBI. But what's been really encouraging about, about the past few weeks uh, is that one, at our EGM, we saw the vast majority of, of our members have stayed with us. They've been really active. They've been talking to us around the policy issues of the day. And we've had a steady stream of members who have been paused coming back in, you know, speaking to one of them uh, this morning. There's so much that they want to see the government and the opposition talking about, whether that's thinking about how we decarbonise our economy Economy, whether that's thinking about good regulation and, and the themes we're seeing this week about making sure the UK is a really attractive place mm. uh, for businesses to invest. OK, let's get on to the Mansion House speech then. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, it's a major speech annually uh, that he gave on Monday. Although the measures were broadly welcomed um, by the government to try to make the city more attractive to reform uh, pensions investment, for example, and the rules around research, um, they don't seem to really be big 
big enough to actually move the needle to make up, for example, for the losses at Brexit. What do you make of uh, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's package of, of reforms? Look, I think the package of reforms that were announced earlier this week have been really welcome from businesses across sectors. And I think it's important to remember this isn't just about the City of London. This is about how we attract financial services across across the UK, across sure. regions. And I think it's also about how we show and signal to the world that we are open for business, that we make it really easy, not just to start a business, but be able to list a company here. So having a set of rules to make it simpler and easier for companies to list here. Uh, and also thinking one of the challenges in the UK, right, is we're, we have some great unicorns, some great startup businesses, but sometimes it's really hard for them to, ra- to raise the whole range of finance that, that they need and that's something our members have spoken to us about and I do think these reforms are an important step forward in addressing some of those issues. An important step forward but has the government done enough to reverse the damage of Brexit to prevent these companies listing in the US? I think what's really important is, you know, it's been so long since the EU referendum. It's it's now about what do we do on a global stage? How do we show that we're a great place to start and grow a business? And importantly, how we respond to the US and Europe, what they are doing on uh, attracting green growth and green investment into the UK. We've got work coming out next week setting out how we think the Chancellor can, how he can act to help that happen and what we need to see across uh, Mm. the whole economy on that. But I do think that what we saw in the Mansion House reforms, particularly thinking about pension funds and how we make it easier for them to invest in a whole range of infrastructure, will really help some of that decarbonisation. So I don't think this is job done. There's still a lot more work to to do. But I do think this was a really important step forward. Okay, so a good step forward. But look, on the £50 billion, which is seen as perhaps the maximum that um, is going to be invested by these UK pension funds, nine of them signed up for it. Um, And it was all spearheaded by the Lord Mayor of the City of London that we've also spoken to uh, this week. Um, It's 5% of the assets of, of some of these pension funds. But I asked the Lord Mayor about this it's not actually necessarily going to be ring fence for British companies, or at least he, you know, he did not, uh, he was not able to disclose what the criteria would be for actually proving that the money from these UK pension funds was actually going to UK businesses. That must be a big worry for you. Look, I think what what we need to see on that is the whole spectrum of of UK policy, right? That's thinking about our tax system across. Uh, the whole sector from whether you're a small company to whether you're a really large company and how we make sure that we have the right skills in the UK to grow a business, to make sure, thinking about our universities, our R&D. And and I think it's those sort of whole economy levers that we need to see government uh, pushing on. So it is really important. This is part of the jigsaw and making it easier uh, for pension funds to invest in UK assets, to invest in long-term assets is really important. But fundamentally, when I talk to businesses across the water industry, across the renewables sector, across construction. What they want to see from government is a long-term strategy for growth and productivity, how we create and develop green markets in the UK. And I think this is a really important step forward, uh, but it needs to come alongside with that whole vision for the UK economy. Mm. Um, Just 
returning to the idea though of, of how you count it as actually investing in growth businesses in Britain what would your advice be then in terms of how we make sure that actually you know it's, it's all about you know growing the UK but how do we make sure that happens and they're your members yeah and, and that's what I'm saying to you is the, the businesses I've been speaking some of the things they've been talking about is making sure that you set a vision on the global stage for what uh, the UK stands for, you know, and talk about the whole ecosystem, talk about our great universities, uh, our, our people, our services industry across the board. So it's, it's setting out a really positive vision. And then also when we think about regulation, not just focusing on the near term, not just focusing on, uh, you know, cost in the very near term, but thinking about the quality of outcomes we want, whether that's in the water industry, whether that's in the renewable industry, whether that's in the construction sector. And, and that's what I found is that speaking to businesses across sectors, they really want to see, a, you know, a consistent approach from our regulators that thinks not just about uh, the short term outcomes for households, but thinks about that long term piece, how we really get uh, an improvement in living standards and proportionate regulation across sectors. Okay, on growth, we got the latest GDP data this morning showing the UK economy is stronger than economists expected. How much does that resilience worry you in terms of the outlook for inflation? Well, I think what we did see is obviously there was a fall on the month in, in overall GDP. And I think we have, on the one hand, I think it is encouraging that, you know, when we look at our forecast for the UK economy for this year, we now expect to see uh, very modest growth in the economy. And I think that is important. Of course, one of the challenges the UK is facing is stubbornly high uh, inflation. And so that's really thinking about what's happening in, in the labour market, seeing what's happening uh, and even there, we are starting to see some softening. We're starting to see a fall off in, in vacancies. And what's really important is that we have the focus on the supply side of the economy. So investment, skills, productivity, innovation. That's what creates the space in the economy so that we can see growth uh, without having an impact on inflation. The Bank of England's rate hikes have really squeezed your members. We've just had a jumbo hike. Do they tell you that it, that was a panicked move? I don't think the uh, members see that or businesses see that as a panic move. I think what they are seeing is absolutely the rises in interest rates are starting to impact on business for sure. And you can see it's making it more challenging to do the investments they need to see. That is obviously part of the transmission mechanism the Bank of England is trying to target. And I think what's really important is that they have taken action and that we do get inflation under control in the economy. And as I said, that is partly around really thinking about the supply side measures that help to see that help to grow the potential of our economy uh, that's what we need to see do, do you think that we're going to see a halving of inflation by the end of the year we certainly expect to see inflation coming down close to around four percent by the end of the year so that really is uh, you know getting into that halving of inflation with inflation uh, over eight percent now uh, what's important though and what the Bank of England will be thinking about is not just where inflation is at the end of this year they are obviously setting interest rates now for what inflation will be hitting towards the end of next year in the middle of next year and we do expect inflation to come down uh, and to get close to target by the end of next year but I think there's still a lot of work to be done uh, thinking about the supply side potential of our economy. Rain, it's your job to say what the politicians are afraid to. The Prime Minister's top priority is to halve inflation by the end of the year. You've got this lag in monetary transmission. Does he need to raise taxes to control inflation? 
I would say, you know, my message is to the Chancellor right now is to focus on how we get investment going in, in the economy. It really is about the, our potential, our, that is how you create more space in the economy, more spare capacity. And so what you need to see the Chancellor doing is making it easier for businesses to invest in our long-term cap capital, to think about how we invest in people and innovation. Having a plan for growth, for productivity over the long term is what will help to make sure that we are reaching our full potential as a country. So that was Rain Newton-Smith, Director General of the CBI. Now, we were talking about the government's priorities, especially their economic priorities. And not only do they want to halve inflation and grow the economy, they also want to cut the public debt. And of course, today was also the time for the Office for Budget Responsibilities Fiscal Risks Report, which said... Oh, hang on, that's... <laughs> unpack that, Lizzie. Well, it said that the UK public finances are likely to remain on a very risky footing because of all the shocks we've had in the UK economy, the COVID pandemic, the war in Ukraine, the cost of living crisis. So difficult territory for the government. Yeah, of course. And Ray Newton-Smith was speaking to us about how she wants Britain to invest more. You know, the whole thrust of her argument is that we need to invest in things like green technology, in people, in infrastructure, in skills. How do you do that when borrowing costs are this difficult? Public finances are under this much pressure. Yeah, and some really interesting detail from the OBR state. Pension costs will rise by 23 billion uh, over the next few years. Defence spending could rise by 13 billion. That's quite a lot in the, given the defence budget to meet growing security threats. And interesting on electric vehicles, something which we've speculated about for a while, but they're putting a number on it. 13 billion pounds a year will be the cost of the loss of fuel duty from people switching from petrol uh, and diesel to uh, electric. Uh, so some, some interesting mm. figures on the, the OBR report. But the other thing that's tugging on the government's purse strings, of course, are the unions. Now, you've had tens of thousands of junior doctors walking out of hospitals across England today, plunging the NHS into its longest strike in history. The five-day action, which started at 7am this morning, adds to three previous walkouts, covering a total of 10 days between March and June. Those strikes saw some 20,000 medics taking industrial action, and we We've got Bloomberg's Julian Harris with us in the studio to tell us more. Julian, this is just one part of the NHS strike picture, but it is going to have a very significant impact on services, isn't it? It is. It's pretty huge. We haven't seen anything quite this big before. Um, just to, I mean, outline what you said. It's five days, then we get one day off, but then we get another two days from senior doctors as well. Um, so we don't quite know. We, we think the NHS has, has to some extent uh, adapted to this, this action so that it can keep things running uh, perhaps better than it had done previously, but it's still a big, big block. Um, and when you think of the tens of thousands of, of appointments that were cancelled when this previously happened, we would expect that um, to get worse. Um, and we've actually just in the last half hour had new figures out showing that the, the total NHS waiting list has, has edged up again. Uh, so it's at nearly seven and a half million now. So it's Which is another timing. government target. Indeed, it's one of the five, and like you're saying, it clashes with the others. If they, they want to keep putting money in this, then that weighs on the debt, and then that stokes mm. inflation as well. Yeah, I mean, bringing, bringing that waiting list down uh, is a target. Although I've seen different figures, you know, from different places, if you actually accumulate the waiting time list, that actually there are you know, perhaps potentially more than even that seven and a half million. But, given um, Yeah, where are we at with the uh, other union actions you mentioned the senior doctors and that's particularly a problem isn't it because uh, junior doctors can't cover senior doctors uh, although it works in reverse uh, and also the, the, the nurses strike which which has been some relief for the government 
Yeah, I, th I think the other ones have, have you know, the, the, the government would be quite happy with in the NHS. Um, they managed to, the nurses couldn't get their, their latest strike threat through. Um, so so those those levels of workers that, that uh, were, were causing uh, issues with industrial action for, for, the, for the previous six months, that, that seems to have been resolved. So that is one positive for the government. But the, that's just in a way been replaced by the medics, um, which to some extent is, is, is even more severe. But then also you've still got teachers, which is brewing away. We had more news yesterday of another union weighing in there. Um, and so we've got civil servants to come as well. The government will be very much hoping that the civil servants accept that offer because then at least that's another tick. But a, lo a lot of these things, you know, they, they, it's kind of whack-a-mole, isn't it? They solve mm. one and then another, another dispute pops up. Um, look, I, I'm an NHS user myself. I do think that anecdotally it's quite strange. I don't know whether other people have found this, but I think that... The NHS is already, and certainly I feel it personally, prioritising people who are, you know, parents, who are working, who are in jobs. It's, at least the, the kind of interactions that I've had very much seem to point in that direction. When it comes to pay rises, Julian, do you think that the government are going to go for the 6 to 6.5% public sector pay rise? Is that, is that going to be possible? And that is you know, the big question now about how much the government actually spends. I think, I mean, certainly some ministers are very keen that they do just to kind of put an end to this. Mm. Um, but of course, the messaging that we, we keep getting from the government is they, they don't want to add borrowing. So they don't want to fund this, essentially, which <clears throat> which is, uh, is is one area of the dispute with the unions who, who have, of course, want that cash and, and expect it um, partly from, from an, a sort of principled or ideological basis. So I, th I think, I mean, essentially what that means is more pressure on services because mm. the, I mean, the, the, the funding for, for the NHS is going up and has been going up for a long time. We sometimes kind of think that's not the case. But, of course, the demographic pressures are, are even higher. Um, and the figures that the NHS put out in, in the last half hour show that just the amount of procedures that it has to do now compared to 10 or 15 years ago is just it's just much, much greater. I'm just wondering if you've seen any estimates of how much this unprecedented for doctors at least strike is going to weigh on the economy because in the latest GDP figures that we were talking about yes it was in contraction territory but there was actually it was partly better than expected because of the lull in the strikes so if we have more strikes in the next figures I wonder how much that's going to hit the economy. Overall we, we tend to find the, the effect is, is not huge but when you're when you don't really have growth, so you're dealing with the question each month or each quarter of whether you're point one or zero or minus point one. To use the medical term anemic. Indeed. Then yeah, then it suddenly starts to make a difference. Like that 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 those kind of you know relatively small fractions can be the difference between technically having growth and having no growth or just going backwards. What about the gap that's opening up between public and private sector wages? It's not something that we see every year, is it? But at the moment, there does seem to be quite a big gap between because private sector wages are, are, are accelerating at quite a pace, aren't they? Yeah, because the labour market is still tight. I mean, there have been real signs of it easing um, recently. Uh, some people are forced to go back to the, the jobs market and, and various other reasons. Um, but that has been driving the increase. And that's certainly what we saw when it 
came to unions um, a long time ago, nearly a year ago, really, and, and, and around last autumn, the first union disputes that started to get solved were private sector ones. And sometimes it was massive settlements. There were, there were people who sometimes got sort of 17, 18% pay rises because companies just thought we just, we've got to cough up because they just aren't the workers to replace them. Um, so th- there are signs of that starting to come down now. Um, but there, and of course, of some public sector settlements being done at, at reasonable rates, especially in, in Scotland and Wales. Um, but there is still, certainly still that gap. Julian, I love a barometer of the UK economy. And I noted in your recent readout newsletter, you were using Weatherspoons, you and my favourite restaurant. Indeed. Well, I guess it's a barometer to some extent. Um, Although it does also <clears throat> have a habit of defying expectations. Weatherspoons had a, had a really bad time during the pandemic, of course. But I did think, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's interesting because we keep talking about how bad the economy is and how squeezed people are. And yet, whenever a company like Weatherspoons or Next or Tesco, something that you think was, would be very exposed to the average person in the UK, they, they, they keep producing pretty decent results. Um, so what I was looking at is why is that? And one possible answer, I think, is, I mean, not everyone has a mortgage, um, but a lot of people with mortgages still uh, are yet to be hit by the increase in rates. Mm-hmm. And as the Bank of England said yesterday, there's four million of us, I say us because I'm one of them, uh, who's, who's going to have to renew um, over the next year. And we've got this to come. And that, that probably is going to hit our spending quite a bit. You'll need a Weatherspoon's pint to cheer you up. Oh, well. <laughs> you also make the point rather nicely, which is something which uh, Lizzie and I uh, often uh, make in conversation, is that, it is, is that p- people from all income levels go to Weatherspoons, and, well, and you do see a mix of people. Well, that's what the Weatherspoons boss was talking about. I mean, he was sort of pushing back against the idea that it was only certain demographics who go to Caroline, pubs. one of my first dates <laughs> with my husband was to Weatherspoons because I had to pass the Weatherspoons test to see if I was down to earth enough. Mm. <laughs> I passed. I, I, I slightly um, <laughs> blinked when you talked about Weatherspoons being a restaurant. I think most of the rest <laughs> yeah, of the population would just call po- it a pub. Possibly Fancy pushing it a bit. <laughs> Definitely pushing it a lot, I would say. Uh, Look, but um, you're right though, Julian, I do think perhaps the pressure is yet to come. On the other hand, maybe also those sorts of brands like Tesco's and Weatherspoon, you know, that people consolidate towards those brands, even in tough times. Maybe it's the other things that are more expensive that, you know, people get rid of. Yeah, because people still want to eat out. And if, if they can only afford to eat out in the, the cheapest place in the market, then assuming that's going to be good for them. And some, some rich people are saving their cash anyway, going to Weatherspoons. It's, it's, it's interesting, though. We've, yeah, we've had a bit of trading down. There are places like B&M that have mm. done very well. But I, you've, it's in the in the mid market restaurant. I mean, if you call it mid, some people call it lower. That there are lots of kind of very standard um, high street restaurants that have really suffered um, mm. over the last six months, and lots of the the sort of Frankie and Benny's and places like this yeah. who have really been hit. So it's it's kind of what we're and we're also seeing some restaurants at the very top doing quite well um, because there are people who are largely unaffected by this. If you you know if your your monthly if your monthly income go you know is is is, is already in in five figures, then if it goes down a bit, who cares? You're still going to have a nice meal if you want it. Um, but the but the, yeah, for people who who are are a bit squeezed, maybe that's it. They are choosing to go to the, the more successful businesses like Weatherspoons rather than the, the restaurants that have suffered.
All right, Julian Harris, thanks for being with us in the studio. Well, now to update you on a story we covered earlier in the week. The BBC's Hugh Edwards has been named by his wife as the presenter alleged by the Sun newspaper to have paid a teenager for sexually explicit photographs. The police have concluded that no crime has been committed by the presenter. Edwards's wife made a statement on his behalf saying that his serious mental health issues have been worsened by the controversy and he's now receiving care in hospital. PR expert Mark Bukowski says that it's important to remember that. So The Sun, owned by Rupert Murdoch's News Corp, has defended its handling of the story and a spokesperson from the paper says that it doesn't plan to publish any more details. Look, this is a story that we covered and also, frankly, every other media outlet in the country has covered. But surely from now on, there will be conversations about privacy, about libel, about mob culture on social media. Well said, Caroline. Well, that's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineer was Marie Fulhussein. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepke. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.